Hello and welcome to episode 109 of The Brand Lounge, the place to unfiltered conversations on big topics for small businesses. I'm Tammy Heels, founder of Shadowcat Creative, where I'm a personal brand marketing consultant, and I show service-based businesses how to define and grow their business through their brand. Today, I am joined by Paula Cohen, business coach at her business, Tailory. Thank you so much for joining me today, Paula. Thank you for the invite, Tammy. It's really good to be here. And today, listeners, Paula and I are going to be talking all about navigating your pricing. So when it comes to pricing your services or products at any stage of business, it can feel like you don't know where to start or you don't know how to work it out in an ethical way and you're worried about overcharging or undercharging. And it can lead to a lot of feelings of overwhelm and fear and frustration when our businesses are not financially aligned with how we're thinking and feeling at the time. But when it does come to business, financial success, whether it's your driving purpose or not, is a key part of business. So approaching our pricing in a way that is beneficial to both us as individuals, to our customers and to us as business owners is really, really helpful. And I am really excited to talk about this with you today, Paula. I think that this is such a big conversation, but I'm hoping that we can cover quite a broad range that will at least bring some new ways of thinking when it comes to pricing. Yeah, I hope so. So um, let's kick off the episode by explaining kind of why setting our pricing is such an important part of business. Yeah, well, you touched on it it, just in that little intro there, Tammy, when you talked about the fact that even if money and profit isn't your driving factor, price is still important. And price really is one of the key things uh, uh, that's going to dictate whether your business actually makes money or not. And that means whether it can pay the bills or not, whether it can pay you or not, whether it's giving you enough of a budget to hire people to help you, to, to grow the business. So pricing is just enormous. It's it's probably one of the key factors in how successful your business is or not. Um, and one of the key factors in terms of the longevity of your business And I think lots of people go into business because they love what they do and they really want to help people. And that's actually a brilliant footing for business. If you genuinely care about your customers, then that kind of passion is likely to come across and that increases your chances of doing well in business. But there's an awful lot of people who are fabulous at what they do, really passionate about helping other people, but they struggle to make money because they constantly undercharge. I I absolutely agree with that. And I think that it's it's wonderful going into business, going, this is what I'm going to do because this is what I love and I feel that other people can benefit from it and I really want to help people. Yeah. But I feel like we're almost we have emotional goals and purposes within business. And then we have the practical side of things, which is we do need to make money. Like that's why we're doing it. And I feel like sometimes the emotional overlap between the two can cause quite a lot of friction. It's something that I've experienced myself. I'm quite happy. I think we'll be talking about this a little bit more later on. But yeah, it's really understanding that at its base level, you need to be making money in a business because you need to be able to pay for things, whether that's business related or personal related or not. 
Absolutely. For your business to be sustainable, you have to be making money. It's as simple as that. Absolutely. And I think that there's a lot of tropes and stereotypes when it comes to being a freelancer or being a business owner, which is like the peaks and the troughs and you're going to be skint one month and you're going to be flourishing the next. And your pricing can actually help you with navigating that, can't it? It can kind of even it out. Yeah, absolutely. It can. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit around the common challenges. I feel like the benefits of knowing and understanding your pricing are fairly obvious. I don't want to make assumptions, but generally speaking, I think we've touched on the key one there, which is your business needs to make money. So your pricing needs to equate for that. But when it comes to challenges around pricing, these can feel often like you're on your own or you're not quite sure what it is. So let's dig into those a little bit more. Yes. Do you know, the? I think the biggest challenge is actually the one that you have introduced there already. It's the emotion. Um, and I think pricing is probably the most emotive thing about business. And it's fascinating, actually, how many people are great at pricing or, you know, great at sales and great at charging a high price when they work for somebody else. And then suddenly they go self-employed or they set up their own business. And pricing just becomes this huge emotional issue because it's then personal. You know, you feel like you're selling yourself. um, And every time you talk about price, you're likely to be judged or assessed when actually that's the first, the biggest challenge is separating that emotion because that's you're never selling you. Even if what you sell is quite a personal service, you know, if you're a therapist or something like that, it's still not you that you're selling. It's the solution. It's the service. It's the product. So it's not a simple thing to do, but but making that effort to separate the emotion and think about price logically will be one of the biggest steps that anybody can make. I see lots of people who absolutely know that they're undercharging or that they're due to increase their prices. You know, perhaps they haven't put them for three or four years And it's the emotion that stops them doing it. They know logically that they need to increase their prices, but the emotion gets in the way. So um, making the effort to just draw back on that emotion and really think logically about price is definitely something that will really help people. I think the other thing, the other challenges is just the clarity in terms of what should go into my price? How do I know how much to charge? Where's the template? I think lots of people kind of say, if someone could tell me how much I should charge, then I'd know what to do and I would just do it. Um, whereas I think a lot of people waver about, well, what are the different factors? Uh, what are all the contributing things? Uh, how do I actually assess my price? Um, so it's that sort of clarity and certainty um, is definitely a big challenge for lots of people. And then, of course, there's the pressures of the world around us. So you'll have lots of people talking online about things like 10K months or £10,000 products or things like that. So there's always this external pressure about should I be charging what they're charging? And then you conflict that with your own ethics and the wish to actually offer something at a service that is accessible to all range of clients and you end up with with a real clash there so I think ironically though you can almost pull all of that back to emotion yes so if you just pull all of it back to emotion and really work logically um we're going to talk a bit more about what to factor in so I won't start digging into that but yeah just just stay logical um and not too emotional is the biggest thing I would say there Yeah, absolutely. I think that you can really boil down a lot of the bigger 
or no, we can boil down a lot of the smaller pricing conflicts and challenges that people say that they have down to that emotional attachment to it. And the noise online is something that I definitely want to cover because all of our goals are going to be different. Like, yes, we need to make money to be a financially stable and sufficient business, but how much money you want to make or how much money you need to make is going to be dependent on you and your price and your service, your experience, everything like that is going to factor in slightly differently. But with the noise online, there are two key things. One that you've definitely touched on there, which is that whole 10K months and like 50,000 pound launches. And oh, it's just, it's ridiculous because it is perfectly achievable. However, I question a lot now more than ever how those figures are actually calculated because having a 10K launch, if you spent five grand on Facebook ads is not a 10K profit. That's not income that you have coming in. And often that 10K is split over a payment plan over 12 months or something like that. So there's not a, there's a tiniest hint of 10K in the bank, but nowhere near. Yeah. Absolutely. It's just kind of an arbitrary figure that they haven't decided. And I I hate seeing it everywhere now. It feels like it's become the new thing for people to do over the last couple of years. I've seen it coming in more and more. Yeah. I think the other thing I see with it as well is there's almost this pressure about what are your ethics. All this external noise creates this pressure because you end up with people who are financially driven, feeling as though perhaps they are mercenary and that that shouldn't be the case. Um, And actually, there's nothing wrong with being financially driven. If that's what absolutely drives you, if you want to be a a million pound business owner or a multi-million pound business owner, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. It does not make you unethical. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's easy to get that message online that charging a high price is unethical. Well, it's not. It's your choice. But equally, if you're somebody who is looking for a lifestyle business and, you know, you want to make just enough so actually you can spend a lot more time with the kids – There's nothing wrong with that either. It's just about having that clarity about who you are, what you want your business to deliver, and then pricing according to that. So it's sticking to your own guns and not being dragged into the the noise and the emotion online. Yeah, absolutely. I also think like when it comes to being financially driven, which I consider myself to be financially driven, like I have big financial goals that will facilitate things that I want to have and changes I want to have in my life. But fundamentally, it's easier for me to package that into X amount of money is kind of where my goal is. But it doesn't mean that my pricing is going to be all of a sudden huge so that, you know, one way to approach it would be if I charge like 10K for a program and then I sold, oh God, maths, four of those. (laughs) And then I've got like a huge income. Yeah. But the alternative is, and the, route that I'm pursuing is okay so what do I enjoy doing and how many different ways can I find to bring money into my business that is all helpful you can break it down into a lot more income streams and I did a really good episode on this with um Nicolen. I can't remember the episode number now but we talked about multiplying your income streams and doing it that way and and maximizing the accessibility and the variety of services and products and everything else that you have yeah in a way that isn't overwhelming is another way that you can make a lot of money or make as much money as you want to because you can diversify your income so it's you don't have to be unethical to like you said you don't have to be unethical to make a lot of money the other thing that I want to touch on is the charge your worth I really dislike that saying I used to love it 
And then when I actually sat down and thought about it some more, I think it was Nisha Woolery, who is an online um, business coach as well, who is wonderful. She started off as a graphic designer and she did one post where it was like, charge your worth is bullshit. And I'm like, actually, you are right, because again, we're connecting it back to our emotions because how worthy you're feeling on one day, let alone the next day. <laughs> yeah. If you went by charging your worth or your perceived worth, if your self-perception is different as an individual compared to you as a business owner, because we can have those polarizing things with a beautiful quagmire of emotions as individuals, <laughs> then charging your worth as your basis for your pricing structure is not practical, logical, or or really ever going to be helpful. <laughs> well, no, but I think it's also, we, we, we may just spit off a tangent here, but I also think that your worth is not about money. None of us. That's not what our worth is. You know, as human beings, we're, we're about our depth, our strength, our experiences, our character. That's not about money. And it, so for me, it's completely the wrong analogy. But as you say, we do, it's, it's a huge thing online, isn't it? Charge what you're worth. Yeah, and it's done in such a positive way. It's like, oh, this is a positive affirmation. You need to charge what you're worth. Yeah. But if you're having days, it, like my, my mental health journey over the last few years has just been exhausting and there have been days where I'm like but I'm not worth I've, I've felt much less worthy than I have on other days so that as a business basis is never going to be helpful for for me or for anyone else who fluctuates yeah but it also it triggers that whole emotional thought and everything we just said is remove the emotion from your pricing but as soon as you say price according to what you're worth mm-hmm. you're saying chart chart your price should be fixed to your internal feelings which is not where we think it should be so no yeah let's let's just ditch that whole <laughs> yeah let's get rid of that let's stop saying that one let's find something charge for the transformation yeah because that's much more helpful and we're, we'll touch on that a little bit later this episode is a little bit more structured than usual only because I feel like we need to work through different parts of the pricing thing so we've covered kind of the common challenges that have come up and I'm sure that there are hundreds of others the pressure to discount is one that I feel like we could touch on um, I did an episode with Enfys a couple of weeks ago where we talked about the dangers of discounting because there seems like this massive pressure of, you know, you have to have the beta price and then the pre-sale price and then the early bird price and then, oh, buy now because this countdown's ticking down and then it's going to cost you an extra grand. And oh, just please though, isn't it? <laughs> mm. How how often do you see something like that though and you actually think it's genuine? It all just feels like marketing, doesn't it? It does, but it does still trigger. And even though I'm aware that it's marketing, I'm aware that it's not genuine, I'm aware that it's unethical to a certain, in my values, it's unethical to a certain degree. I still can feel that feeling in my chest of, oh my God, I'm going to miss out. Even if it's something where I'm like, I don't think this is the right solution for me, but there's a countdown. (laughs) (laughs) It does work though. That's the ironic thing, isn't it? It does. We're suckers. (laughs) Yeah, we are. It's one of those things, but it's been built into us forever. Like bright red sale signs with everything must go hurry in the stores before we ever got into um, online retailing. Yeah, there's so much psychology in it, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it seems like such a shame because there will be psychology for the counter as well, doing the opposite side. It's just not as, it's that instant gratification, isn't it? Yes, for sure. Cool. So I would love to talk a little bit about our pricing journeys. I'm more than happy to share that my pricing journey has been um, challenging and it still is, but... 
I feel much more comfortable now than I did when I first started. And I'd love to hear your kind of insights and reflections as I share, because this is something that obviously you work through with your clients. So for me, when I first started out four and a half years ago as a brand designer, I actually started out just as a generic just I started out as a generic graphic designer as opposed to a specialism so I didn't niche down I was literally offering anything to anyone that was related to design of any description but I know that I was significantly undercharging and for me at the time it was kind of partly self-confidence because it was something I was doing on the side of my day job I didn't really need to be making money from the business I didn't have any expectations for the business I didn't really see it as a business. (laughs) So all of this was kind of bundled in with, oh, if someone's willing to pay me X amount, then that's X amount that I didn't have before. Yes. But my pricing was not built on any of the outgoings that I would have to have. So when you actually sit down and when I sat down and did the maths like six months in, admittedly, the business had gone very well. But when I sat down to do the pricing six months in, I was like, oh, that 200 quid that I charged for a logo design that took me three weeks. Yes. I didn't charge for my time. I didn't charge for the 50 pound software that I have to pay every month. I haven't considered the fact that I'm going to have to pay tax on that. That 200 quid went straight into my account once the whole amount went straight into my savings account for a house bar, maybe a tenner for a celebratory bottle of wine. (laughs) But I didn't have any factor when it came to how to actually, it wasn't even that emotional basis, I don't think. It was just one of those that, oh, this is fun and someone's paying me for something. Hooray. Yes. Well, to be fair, I think you were doing what most people do at the start of the business and just winging it. Because I think that's what pretty much everybody does. <laughs> you know, you've got you've got an occasional person who's got quite a business or strong corporate or finance background. And and they will come into this with, you know, a better basis and more logic to it. But for the vast majority of people, it is literally, where do I start? How much can I charge? Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll see what someone's willing to pay. And then you take it from there. Yeah. Isn't it funny that we wait until we see what someone's willing to pay, but we have to float the idea of a price to start with? Yeah. And I think the other thing that so many people do early on is they go and check out other people and they make sure they charge less. Yes. So you, you're right that we go straight into that undercharging. Yes. And it's almost encouraged as well, isn't it? And I feel like there's a certain amount. I mean, from my perspective, I was in a corporate environment where I was doing design work by day alongside a bunch of other things like managing teams, managing projects. So there was a lot of my job that wasn't to do with designing. So I was like, well, doing it on the side will be better because I'll only be doing designing. I think we all know that that's not right when you're running a business. <laughs> no, that never happens, does it? That's it. There's always a million other things going on. Yeah. But yeah, I don't I don't think your pricing journey there is unusual at all. No, exactly. And at the start, it was fine because it was just, I had very specific goals. I wasn't treating it as a business because to me, it didn't feel like a business. It was money on the side that I was trying to earn to save up for a deposit for a house. It was never going to be a business. It wasn't going to be anything else because that had never occurred to me. It was an option. Yeah. See, there's, there's two things that you hit on there, which are probably at that, at that point are the perfect things to grab hold of to be able to change your pricing direction, which is actually having some goals, knowing where you want to go and understanding what income you need to bring in, but also the cost side of things, understanding how much it actually physically costs you, understanding all of the different business overheads, um, as you say, to thinking about tax and that kind of stuff, but also factoring in that 
your time and charging your time at a decent rate, not just throwing that in, um, you know, recognising your skills, your knowledge and everything that goes into that time and understanding all of that to factor all of those juicy things in. Yeah, and it was a real struggle because it felt fine at the time and I didn't really have any issues with it because as far as I was concerned, it was wonderful to see this extra money flowing in. But when it came to me wanting to actually grow up in a business sense and treat it like a business... I found that I was get, I had set myself up at such a disservice because I didn't know how to charge and adapt my pricing. It felt incredibly scary to increase my prices dramatically because I was worried that I would lose clients. Yes. And because I had then attached the emotional weight of I want this to be my future. Yes. That's when it became much more challenging. So when it we're talking about the emotions, like it really does come down to that emotional attachment to it. There's also a real irony in there, in that one of the things that can be hugely challenging for a business, once you get over those initial few months and then you're starting to really establish, very often one of the biggest challenges is that you have legacy clients that you're charging peanuts. And quite often people still have those clients a year, two years, three years into their business and often still at those initial prices um, because of that whole, you know, they helped me get my my business off the ground. I absolutely love them. They couldn't afford my, my new prices, all the emotion around it, but actually they become more of a an anchor on the business than something that actually helps you to grow yeah absolutely um for me it really turned around when I worked with a sales coach and she really helped me with understanding my pricing and how I needed to structure it and the things that I needed to account for but also she helped me very much with the emotional side and the best piece of advice and I know that I've shared this on the podcast before the best piece of advice she ever gave me was that it's none of your goddamn business what someone else is financially capable of paying yeah like it is not up to you to assume whether they can or cannot pay because something that I come across very often with friends and um, clients is well I offered them a lower price because I assumed they couldn't pay my prices and you're like well that's none of your business what money they've got absolutely and I think the other thing to factor in there is that not everybody should be able to afford you yes maybe in the first five minutes when you haven't worked out how to charge properly but if you're offering a good service or a good product there will be people that can't afford you there'll also be some people who aren't willing to pay because they only ever focus on price some people will only ever focus on price and not quality or value so those people should be telling you you're too expensive yeah. But there will also always be somebody else who is doing this cheaper than you are. So it's not as if you turning away a customer means that they can't get that help somewhere else. It just means that they're not your customer. Yes, exactly. Just because you're not the person to help them doesn't mean that they're not going to get the help that they want or need. Yeah. yeah. And I think that the prices that we set within our business really does help to attract the clients that we want to work with when I put my prices up my clients were so much more aligned with what I wanted to partly because I was a little bit more stringent with the onboarding process that I had but also because they were more stringent with their due diligence before they approached me because they're like I know that I want to work with you and then you're just negotiating details not price and that's where you want to be yeah and and that shift when you increase your prices and I'm not talking increasing them exponentially but when you increase them to a a, a level that's more reflective of your skills and your values then exactly as you say you tend to find that those clients are more discerning but also they're less panicked about what they're spending 
So they tend to be um, value-focused clients who really appreciate you, whereas actually when you're pricing yourself at the very bottom level and people are struggling to afford you, that's when they tend to actually be really needy and they tend to be your more awkward customers and your more time-consuming customers because every penny is massively important to them. So you're right that as you increase your prices, you do tend to attract a more discerning type of customer yeah absolutely and then the final stage of my pricing journey for now (laughs) big big for now is that recently in the last kind of six months or so where I've launched a second business with a different format so I've gone from being a solo business owner with a service-based business that I offer to being an agency owner where the work is being different parts of the work are being done by different team members I'm outsourcing I have different expenses I have different goals and that has been a whole new bundle of oh my goodness attaching emotion to the pricing going right the way back to how I felt at the beginning where I had this fear of overcharging and undercharging combined with well, I want to make sure that I'm paying for good quality team members without employing. So good quality team members, but also making a profit in the business and having to smush all of that into my pricing calculation. Yeah. Do you know what I see happen a lot in that sort of situation is forgetting to price you into the mix? Yep. Because even though you're (laughs) going to actually outsource the vast majority of the work, potentially you're still that customer liaison or or you're managing the project or overseeing or something. And I see a lot of people think, well, everybody else is doing the work, so I don't need to factor me in. But even if it's just thinking about, you know, a couple of hours here or there, just recognise that you will definitely be involved in that in some way, shape or form. And that time should absolutely be factored into that price. Absolutely. I think I found it much easier after having a conversation with someone where they're like, why are you attaching all of the emotion back into this? Like, this, yeah. is, you've come so far. And it was like, once it was pointed out, it felt much more comfortable. But the way that I've done it, just very quickly to touch on this, is that I made sure that every single hour of a customer journey was accounted for financially within the price that I was going to charge. So I counted it in from if I was to outsource this work, this is the amount that I would charge for it. And then put a little bit of a wiggle room either side for whether it was me doing it, whether I was outsourcing it, because then I would still need to be liaising with the outsource because that's the other thing. Even if you outsource the work, you still need to do that facilitation, no matter how hands off you want to be. Yeah, totally. You'll still need to do your invoicing. You'll still need to have the meetings. You still need to talk with your team. So that was quite fun once I got my head around it. (laughs) But that's kind of like my three stage bit of undercharging to finding my pricing which did take a good year of trialing to find out what worked to then having this whole new kind of way of approaching it coming in so are you happy to share a little bit around your pricing journey because I'd love to see what's similar what's different and how it's kind of developed for you yeah so my pricing is probably very different to your my pricing journey is very different to yours because my first venture into business was actually with a franchise. And that means that the franchise have recommended pricing. And you, you can choose to price differently, but they give you recommended pricing. So all of that initial, oh my God, what should I charge? I didn't have to go through that. I guess probably the, the first part of my pricing challenge was the fact that that meant I was recommended to charge the same amount as very experienced coaches when I was a very new one. It was interesting that initially, 
Um, I suppose having come out of the corporate world, it was just a case of this is the price, this is the service. And I was totally comfortable with it. And I think then when things get a bit more real and you start to work with clients and you look at what's that client paying and, and am I absolutely delivering that value? Um, that definitely raised some questions for me, just in that sense of, is that a fair price? Considering, you know, they could be working with somebody who's been doing this five or 10 years. Is that actually ethically quite the right thing to do? And the other thing that I struggled with sort of emotionally around pricing is that within the franchise model, that um, there is a, a monthly franchise fee and there's a percentage that goes across to marketing as well. So my clients were essentially paying a fee to the you know the head of the franchise company and they didn't specifically get anything for that now you could say that that obviously represented the training that I was receiving and the investment from the franchise company but it did definitely feel as though I had no choice really but to inflate my prices in order to cover that it felt like the customer was taking that hit a little bit so I I was with the franchise for seven years which was the length of my license um, but one of the factors in not renewing that license at the end was that I didn't I didn't want the clients to actually be paying that that franchise fee. But then of course it it brought all the interesting stuff about because at that point I absolutely knew I could reduce my pricing. Yes, you could argue, well, why would I reduce it? Because people were paying that price. But as I say, I could reduce my pricing. I could make the same amount of money, exactly the same amount of money as I was. So you're just stripping out the franchise fee. So why should the clients pay the same just for me to make more profit so I was happy to reduce my prices and strip out that franchise fee but then all that sort of uncertainty then about well exactly what level should it be Um, and is that enough and is that too little and all the same the same questions that I work through with clients settling on exactly the right level. I'm really curious to know as well when you were making that decision to break away from the franchise did being a member of that franchise help support your client lead gen did was it responsible for bringing clients to you no interesting because I wonder if it had been that's where the question is would it be worthwhile maintaining that because of the additional non-monetary value that it's bringing yeah yeah and this could definitely send us off a tangent but there were a number of reasons why I opted not to renew as much as anything because after after seven years, I was very much ready to kind of do it absolutely my way, yes. um, you know, and to be totally independent with my brand, my personality and, and you know, sort of get rid of all that. It was a, a slightly corporate feel to the franchise. So, yeah, I was more ready to just let it all hang out a bit at that stage. <laughs> Perfect. So when it came to setting your pricing then, at first, did you just strip out the fee and charge from there? Or was there a process that you went through? Or did you go through the pricing process before you left the franchise for your independent? I don't think I did anything before. I know I must have been, I would have been working it out in the good old head for a fair while before it. So, yeah, I think initially it was just a case of just just strip out that franchise fee. So I'm leaving things on an even keel with where they are now. I think the other really interesting thing for me is that the whole perception piece, because I I had a nervousness about will people see me with as much credibility when I'm not linked to that franchise? Um, You know, is it actually going to dent my business when I step away? And it was fascinating that it was the exact opposite. Um, that people kind of said, now that you're just totally you, I'd really like to have a chat. I'm much more interested in what you do when it is just you and I absolutely know what I'm getting. So that was quite interesting. 
are insightful. So have there been any other times when you're pricing, like have you introduced new services? Have you changed anything where your pricing conversation has come back up? Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. I'm, I, I have dabbled with online, um, online group stuff. That's always when my pricing questions um, come into my mind. And, and I'm doing that whole thing of wanting to make it accessible, but needing to make it profitable. There's always that element with my pricing of I will look like a fraud if I undercharge. If I'm too cheap, how can I possibly position myself as a business coach who knows what they're talking about? But, you know, we've all got that sort of emotional thing, haven't we? If I price here or there, what will people think? So it's it's all that sort of um, for, forecasting what people are going to think of us definitely it's really challenging because when it comes down to your brand and this is something that we'll just kind of touch on briefly is that a lot of people will invest in their branding um and this has been an experience that I've seen they'll invest in their branding particularly if they're ready to invest with like a higher end brand designer rather than a logo designer where it's just kind of not as much with the strategy in the building like when they're ready to really invest for the future of their business, they've got these big plans, but then they don't adjust their pricing accordingly. That can be really disconnecting for your customers as well, because if your visual identity of your business or your values of your business do not match with your pricing, then it automatically breeds a bit of distrust yes. and suspicion because we're su- suspicious people when it comes to money. <laughs> So, yeah, if you invest in a brand and say you put, I don't know, a couple of thousand pounds into a brand development and then don't align your prices with the way that that brand now looks, you've got a high end looking brand and low budget prices. They're not going to trust you as easily because they'll think that something's wrong. (laughs) Yeah, totally true. There's a great sales coach, actually, an American sales coach called Tom Tom Hopkins, who wrote a book called, um, let me get this right, it's, and it sounds so salesy. Um, it's something like, sell it today, sell it now, the art of the one call close. So it probably sounds like classic, cheesy, old, sleazy sale. But he talks about a four-step sales process, which is trust, need, help, hurry. But step one, and each of those steps has five kind of sub-steps within it. So step one is trust, and step one of building trust is he deems it appropriateness. So it's basically, do we match expectations? Yes. Um, you know, are people looking at us and thinking for the kind of business they're in, they look right, they feel right. You know, it's the classic thing of if a copywriter has got constant spelling mistakes somewhere, then that doesn't feel appropriate. If a tradesperson has constant spelling mistakes, that's nothing to do with whether they're actually very good at fixing your sink. So it's not going to be that relevant. But it's it's all about that perception and what people expect. Yeah. And I, I think you've hit a really good point there that actually as you keep improving your business, that should be reflected in your price. Yes, 100%. 100%. Otherwise you'll be inappropriate. Yes, you will be. <laughs> well, and also you're doing a disservice to yourself and you're doing a disservice to your clients. And it's that whole, like we were talking about earlier, exactly what you said earlier, where you keep those legacy clients at a lower price, but your experience and everything else that's happening is evolving and growing. Yeah, yeah. 
and from a practical sense, if you start investing in a VA or a team member, a virtual assistant or a team member to support you with the admin side so that your time is best spent with your clients, that you're not factoring that in or adjusting your pricing to reflect that, you're actually going to be earning less, even though you're now offering more. Yes, exactly. Which is very unbalanced. There's no sense in putting ourselves at a disservice for the, our perceived emotional needs of our clients. Yeah. Any time we invest in our business in a way which is to help our business to grow and helping our business to grow should also mean that we can offer a better service or a service to more clients, that should always be reflected in our price because we're offering more value. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about what to factor into our pricing, because we've talked a lot about taking the emotion out of it. And there's probably someone out there just eye rolling going, yeah, but how? So this is how. So when we're talking about setting our pricing and calculating a price, there is always going to be a little bit of leeway depending on who you are, what you're doing, all of that kind of thing. But this is just kind of taking the emotion out of it and looking at some of the things that need to be included. So we have a wonderful list. So the things that I found that I used to miss off that I now make sure are some of the first things that I do. Shout out to Profit First, the book by Michael. Thingamajig. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> by Mike. Good old Mike. I've just got Monsters, Inc. stuck in my head now because I keep reading it as Mike Wazowski and it's not. Sorry. (laughs) Profit first. Yeah. So tax and profit and my salary. My goodness. It has been four years until I paid myself a regular salary. So those are the three that I would fundamentally always say that you need to have tax 100%. Calculate a certain amount. Put that to one side. Profit, absolutely. That has been a game changer for me, putting aside a little bit for profit and paying myself a percentage of every payment I get, a set percentage rather than a set amount because our business fluctuates. I go for percentages. So from your point of view, what else would you include and how do you include it? So generally speaking, the first thing I would actually suggest people do is to get super clear on their goals. So exactly where they want their business to be. But at the same time, I always think for me, goals is a two step process because actually your personal goals come first. Uh, I'm a huge believer that your business is there to help you create the life that you want to create rather than take it over as it will do if you let it. I think also the other thing is that for most people, money in a money in and of itself is not actually a motivator so it's getting that clarity as to what's the point of money to you so when you're thinking personal goals and this is where a lot of people find quite a challenge um, in feeling that personal goals are greedy or mercenary or something like that but I think when you can make your goals bigger than yourself whether that's about your family your friends your community charity or anything like that when it's something bigger than you then I think it becomes more important and you you take away that view that that money is icky um so getting real clarity on financially where do you need to be in let's say 12 months I don't tend to encourage people to do the five to ten year plan with that unless you've got something super specific if you know you want to buy a house or something like that or I don't know you're saving for a wedding or saving for a big trip Uh, but for most people anything more than 12 months is it just gets very confusing whereas 12 months is quite current so 
I would get super clear on your goals for the next 12 months and what that means you need to generate as an income for your business. Um, The second thing I would do is a really good review of costs, Um, exactly like we talked about before, that people just don't factor that in. But it's also thinking forward about that as well. And you talked about hiring a virtual assistant uh, or hiring freelancers. And people don't tend to forecast that. So they tend to price based on what it costs them to deliver right now. And then they might hire a a virtual assistant in three months' time, and then they would have to put their price up rather than actually thinking ahead, thinking about what will my team look like over the next 12 months? And can I factor that in at the start of the year so I'm not having to adjust my prices constantly? So factor that lot in up front. Factor in all the things like you talked about, software, all those bits and pieces, Things like memberships, subscriptions, all of that kind of stuff should be part of the overall costs that go into your pricing. If you've got office costs, stationary costs, travel costs, all of those nitty gritty things, insurances, all of that should go into your costs, accountancy fees, all that all needs to be factored in when you're looking at your pricing. Think about capacity. This is a key one that sometimes trips people up on it. And I often find people will say, this is where I'm at now. Uh, So now I've got six clients. In 12 months, I'd like to have 26 clients. And then you think, well, there aren't enough hours in the day for you to actually service 26 clients. So what if you target having to target having 15 clients that were paying you a better price? Um, So thinking about that capacity, how long it takes you to deliver your service, um, what else are the demands on your time and what's a a realistic number of clients for you to be able to support. And that will define for you if 15 is my limit and these are my financial goals for the year, then you've got a straightforward calculation at that point that says each of those 15 will actually need to be paying this much money because you're factoring in your tax and your profit and your salary. The other things to then think about, as we've touched on some of it, is, and this is where it gets a little bit less specific, you can't put a black and white number on it, it does come down to value, but it is very much thinking about your experience, your credentials, your credibility, how long you have been doing this, all the training that you've gone through. And, And a lot of people will do that classic, you know, Bob down the road is only charging such and such, but Bob's not actually that experienced. Whereas you've been doing this for several years, you've got agency experience or you've got corporate experience, you've done 26 different training courses, there's all sorts of different software that you use, you know, you've got 34 recommendations on LinkedIn that say you're absolutely amazing. Um, and, And there's a quirky thought that actually the more positive recommendations that you've got, the higher your price should be because they're a demonstration of your value. And I think there's a key thing here that value is very different to worth. Value is really what you deliver. Worth is the whole emotion piece around it. And then the other key thing with value is really digging into what does value mean to your customer? And I think very often we shy away from this. And sometimes if it's intangible, if it's, I don't know, better sleep at night, more confidence, Um, things like that, just feeling better, people struggle to see the value they deliver. Um, So sometimes you need to really stop and think about what's the change that this makes for my customer and where does that spread to? So what's the difference? You know, if you you help a a customer to rebrand, does that actually mean that they now attract 
better clients who pay them better, who don't demand as much of their time, who are more likely to recommend them on LinkedIn, things like that. Does their entire business feel slicker, smarter, more professional? So value is, is off at lots of juicy tangents. Sometimes you can put a number on it. If you deliver an ROI, if it's a marketing business and you can absolutely demonstrate numbers, you can't always. So this is a little bit more woolly. But value is about how much time you save a client, how much easier you make their life, what changes you make to their reputation. But it's also about the complexity that you simplify for them. So they might be able to do for themselves what you do for them. But it might take them three times as long when they wouldn't do it anywhere near as well. So being able to take that headache away, to simplify their life, to help them move on faster, to get things done that have been on their list for God knows how long. All of that is value. And all of that should add a premium. And it might be that you just wrap all of that into it and say, well, I think that should increase my pricing by 10%. Maybe put a figure to that and apply a percentage increase on where you thought your price should be. A couple of things I would say not to factor in. Don't factor in what your competition are charging. No, I agree with that. Absolutely. I think it's not necessarily a terrible thing to check out your competition just to prove to you that you're not charging five grand for what everybody else is charging a five or four. Um, but it's much too easily to get drawn into comparing prices. So don't do the price comparison. Again, it comes back to those assumptions, because although they may be marketing their services at, for example, five grand, you don't know whether they're actually offering that service on a sales call at two grand. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, you, you never know what's actually going on behind closed doors. Um, the other thing I would say about price is don't ask the internet. Don't jump on Facebook and say, I've got this service. What would you prepare? What would you be prepared to pay for it? Because you'll get, you know, you'll get people literally saying five grand, five quid, and it will not help at all. It will actually just leave you way more confused. So yeah, I think those are my key factors. I think the one other thing I would just chuck in there as well is that somebody, somebody should be telling you you're too expensive. If you're never told you're too expensive, then you're definitely too cheap. And that is something to factor into your pricing. If nobody ever turns you away because you're too expensive, that's a sure sign that you're undercharging. So put your price up. I would also say if someone tells you you're undercharging, because <laughs> I have friends who I'm like, I will pay the money that you are charging, but you are not charging enough for this. Service. Yeah, I love what you were saying, particularly around the value conversation because it's the so what factor isn't it it's like well I can help you feel more confident it's like so what what does that mean what what's the tangible outcome that your customer can actually think about so I can make you more confident with your pricing or I can make you more confident with your services it's like well so what what does that mean well that could mean that you then have the confidence to start doing keynote speaking so what does that mean well that actually helps you with your brand value and mission of making an impact and driving awareness for this particular thing that you want to be known for and you want to bring to the public eye it's like well what does that mean it's like well that then means that you're having another income stream coming into your business from keynote speaking it also means that you're establishing yourself as an authority within this arena And it means that you're getting your message out to a wider group of people who can then also make an impact. So just by going, you can have more confidence, it's really hard to try and picture what that would look like. Like, what would that look like if they were sticking it on a mood board? 
I think that that's one of the easiest ways as someone who is very visual for me it would always be well what would my client put on a mood board that would reflect that and that's the story that you want to sell to them so that they can visualize it yeah one of the ways that I sometimes get people to think about it because I do think people struggle with this because when they do that classic thing of well all I've done is a new logo so I don't see what difference that's made and they just they don't go into that depth but one of the ways that I get people to think about it is what would other people say so when you've done that work for a client so let's say we've both done some work that's helped somebody with their confidence what are their team now saying what are they seeing that's different what are their family saying and other people around them. And sometimes you can almost, that takes you out of the equation a little bit and you can dig under the skin. But it, you, you kind of summed it up there. There's always a ripple effect with what you do. So it's picturing that, where does that lead to? What does that create down the line? You know, which means that, which means that, which means that. And that's when you start to get into the heart of that value piece. Absolutely. And I think that if you can make the effort to go, which you should, because if you're selling your services to your clients, then you should be able to do this. Go at least two to three times down the what if route. Like if you're a photographer, I'm help people feel more confident. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, that means that they actually feel happier when they're showing up for the photography session that we're having. So what does that mean? Well, that means that they actually manage to capture more natural photos that they're going to be proud to display of these memories that they have with their kids. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that you've actually captured these memories that you can show, share with your family, share with your friends, keep for a legacy for your kids when they're growing up to show these moments that you share together that their children, they probably won't remember, but they'll have that visual representation of it so just by going down that three step of what if what if what if or what does that mean what does that mean what does that mean yeah that is something that you can really package up in your marketing that a customer will go oh I really want that I want to be able to have a visual legacy that I can hand on to my children in the future rather than oh I want to feel more confident in front of a camera (laughs) yeah and I think you know it's often a pivotal thing is we do shy away from this. And I think a lot of people sort of think, well, I just do that. And then all the other stuff is all about the customer. And it's not, you've started that ripple effect. But often this is a pivotal moment that when you really get that, what if, what if, what if, then you really understand your own value. And suddenly your thoughts on pricing and your emotions to it will shift. It's definitely a piece of work I would encourage people to do. Awesome. I love that. I think that that's a You've covered so much there as well. I've, I was writing it down as you were going through it. And what I've kind of come out with is a, a very base, and this is a very baseline, not factoring in all the different nuances that go in. But what you, to calculate your price, it's kind of outgoings plus income goal. So outgoing goal plus income goal, because we're talking about thinking for the future, not just for now. And then we want to divide that by either the time we want to spend or the number of clients that we want to have. Yeah. And that will give you a ballpark figure of what it is. And then if that figure makes you think, oh, my goodness, that's too much or oh, my goodness, that's way lower than I was expecting. That's where you need to kind of have a look at the individual nuances of, okay, well, if that figure feels too scary, could I have more clients? Could I reduce my outgoings? Could I read? think my income goals and then move it from there yeah there's also a little tip that I would share there about price increase is if you're sat in that place and thinking oh my god that price is so different to where I'm at right now then it won't work for every business but if your business is quite one-to-one increase those prices incrementally so what you might say is 
for every three new clients, I will increase my price by 100 quid or whatever that right figure is for you. So it might take you 12 months to get to that new figure, but you know that you're on a path. Um, Ideally, increase that price straight away. But as we said, this is a very emotional thing to do. And what you can't do is push your price higher than your gut tells you. Because if you try and do that, you will just back away. And if you sound like you're really lacking in confidence when you talk about price, then people won't buy from you. So you can't push straight away past a figure that you don't think is the right figure, but you can have clarity in your mind straight away on how much and when you will keep increasing that price. I have a real life example of this that I lived through um, because I did exactly that. So I went from charging uh 250 quid for a logo when I knew that I was massively undercharging given the fact that I had like 10 years at that time 10 years experience as a brand designer and knew what I was doing you just charging this name is Bob down yeah the road. I know it's terrible I was charging less than people on Fiverr um with all of this wealth of experience and the packages that I was offering were significant and then I spoke I had one call with a sales coach who I ended up working with who's now one of my best friends um I worked with her and she was like double your prices today and I was just like sure why not I've got a full-time job let's see what happens worst case scenario no one comes in I'm not at a loss I had that luxury and that privilege of that space that I could I put my prices up. I had more inquiries that week than I had ever. And I secured a bunch of new clients. I then went through and worked with her again. And we reformatted all of the business. We repackaged everything up. So it was much more value driven. The transformation was huge. And the packages and the work that I was offering was much more significant, but I would need fewer clients. And we priced that at 5,000. But the jump between 500 and 5,000, whilst it was definitely what the packages was worth, the transformation was worthwhile. I sold two of them within the first month. Mentally, my brain just went, what the am I meant to do with this? I don't know how to deal with this. One of the clients I put on such a long-term payment plan that I felt a little bit sour by the end of it because I'm like, I'm not seeing this coming in nothing to do with the client this is absolutely my my choices but there were so many other emotions that came up where I was not ready to have that and it caused me to have this massive crash in confidence that actually meant that I didn't secure a sale for a following three months right yeah so going from doubling my prices easy brilliant worked well felt aligned increasing my prices by that amount horrible awful despite the fact that I have my best performing month I have my 10k month in theory yes (laughs) but it didn't work well now I found a balance for my pricing where I feel comfortable I feel confident and I feel like it's worth um it's the balance between the time that I want to put in with each client which will vary because it always does and the amount of money that I want to be earning and it's not five grand <laughs> it's less, yeah. it's less than that because that feels more comfortable for me but I've aligned it with the values and the feelings and the ethics and everything else yeah yeah something that you might have wanted to consider and, and to be fair you weren't going to know this until you dived straight into it but in that situation perhaps what could have worked is that you just said I'm just going to put it up by 500 pounds each time and then you get to a point where you kind of go you know, you get to three grand or three and a half or something, you go, I'm comfortable here. This is where I, this is where I need to be. So it doesn't always have to be all kind of gung-ho and, and straight in. And I think the other thing as well that people often forget is 
if you do increase your prices and then feel like you've got, you've got it completely wrong, nobody's buying, it doesn't feel right to you, you can always reduce them. Yeah, absolutely, which is what I did. Yeah, I think that's it. People kind of think that it's a it's a one-off thing and that you can't come back from it. You can. Yeah, you can. And also, I did change the amount of work because with those big packages, there was so much in there um, that actually, even though it was a, a bigger price tag, the amount of work that I would be doing, because I almost like overcompensated for the price increase by saying this includes unlimited marketing materials. Ooh. Yeah, that was an interesting choice. Mm. <laughs> Whereas now I'm like, no, we have variation and we can tailor it. But it's still, and you know, I've developed the deliverables, calculated the outgoings, all of that kind of thing. So it feels much better. But yeah, it is interesting that I had no qualms about doubling my pricing. But even though I hit that big goal in one month that everyone's telling you you should go for, it crippled me emotionally. <laughs> yes. Well, non-stop lessons, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, now I feel much more confident and I mean, from my point of view, I always try and keep my pricing visible on my website and everything like that, because it's it's something that I believe in. It's something that I feel is core to my values. It saves a lot of hassle in conversation. So upping my prices each time for me doesn't feel aligned, but I do like um, the whole every X number of clients. That's when I reconsider my pricing. So every five clients for me, I do every five. I review my pricing. Is this still delivering the value? What are my clients asking for? Can I tailor the package to better suit what it seems to be the average and all of that? So super good advice there. That's wonderful. Um, so the last thing that I would love to touch on today, because we've kind of talked about reviewing our pricing already as we grow, is making it accessible. So even if you are like, I'm going to charge a larger price for my package, a higher ticket price whatever you want to call it but I still want to be accessible to everyone how do I balance the two without undercharging yeah so I, I think you've got two um options with that one really it's either a, a broader a broader range of services so that you're not only offering your five grand service that there is you know typically in that sort of environment you'd have three levels of service so you might have your £500 product, your £1,500 product, and your five grand product, something like that. So you look at having an entry-level product there so that the clients that can't afford the whole shebang have still got an option with you. Um, and to be fair, tailored, tailoring your services like that is generally a, a really good way to model a business. It tends to keep your skills nice and broad. It means you're dealing with a different range of customers. Um, and as you say, you've got accessible services. And the alternative is things like payment plans. You do have to be a bit careful with payment plans. Um, and one thing I, I don't love is payment plans that run on longer than the service takes to deliver. Because what you then find is you've done all your bit, but actually you haven't been paid for all that work. Um, and especially if you haven't got that absolute clarity on your outgoings and your time, you can find you're leaving yourself a bit short because the customer's paying you in a few more months' time. But also the customer's then at a place where they've had the work and they might have absolutely loved it, but still three months, six months, they're still paying for it. And that can feel a little bit icky to the customer. So payment plans where they absolutely work for you and work for the customer can work really well. Don't be tempted to offer a payment plan because you're trying to help somebody who can't afford your service to be able to afford it. Offer them the more, um, you know, your entry level product 
is, is the better plan. Um, and the crucial thing I would say is, I think, did you say you've done another episode about discounting? Yes, I have. Yeah, that went out. Well, as we're recording it, it's going out. It went out last week. So a couple of weeks ago, guys. <laughs> um, and the key thing I would say is um, avoid discounting at all costs. Unless there is some kind of enormous benefit to your business, avoid discounting because all it does is crush your profits, um, possibly damage your reputation and attracts the wrong kind of clients. So don't offer a discount because you feel sorry for people. Um, I would also say with that, try and avoid like the play mates rates or family rates. Um, What you tend to do with mates rates is you change the dynamic of the business relationship completely. So very often somebody's going to end up feeling like this hasn't gone well. Either you feel abused because you're giving your work away for peanuts or the person who is the customer sometimes ends up not feeling that happy with it. And and maybe you haven't given it your best work because actually you're not being paid in full. So it's probably not your first priority. Um, And they might not feel that happy with it, but they know they haven't paid the right price. So they don't really feel like they can push back on it. So very often everybody loses. So just friends, family, same right. Mates, same right. Keep it keep it really simple. Yeah, I love that. I think that those are three really valuable, really valuable settings there. I think with the services, something that I have found very helpful is if you can find a way that those three services that you have, your intro, your mid-range and your higher ticket, if there's a way that they can work together and progress together. So if someone buys into your first, your base level service, and then they see the value from that, they see the return from that, they're invested in you, the work that you're doing and everything else. And it's a good logical step to then move to your next service. Brilliant. Works beautifully. And you'll also find they already know that your value, they know how fabulous you are. So they're not going to quibble about the higher price. It also means that from a referral basis, they are going to be much more likely to refer people who are at your mid to high level as opposed to your base level because they are already selling your value. So there is a lot to be said if that base level service and even your mid-level service, if there's a way that they can progress through, it works really well. And when it comes to payment plans, it's interesting because I always offer payment plans because it works really well for me. I love knowing what I've got coming in <laughs> with the number of clients I have over the next couple of months. I think that that's just, that's probably some form of limiting belief that's in there somewhere, but it's nice to have that knowledge of what's coming in the following month for me. Payment plans can be fabulous for cash flow, but, you know, and for actually being able to forecast your cash flow. They can be fantastic. I guess the key thing I would probably say is you need to ideally get your business to a solid level of cash flow before you start to offer payment plans Mm. because initially they can dent your business. But actually, if you already know you've got all your overheads covered and the business is ticking on nicely, then actually adding payment plans is great for that ongoing cash flow. Yeah, Um, I would also say that from experience, I have offered payment plans that have gone on much longer than projects before. But now I try and limit it to one month after the project work has been completed, because as far as I'm concerned, within that following month, we're still going to be in contact. How are things going? How's it gone? All the rest of it. So I feel like one month past. So if you're selling a three month service or a product or service, it takes, say, three months on average, but you offer a payment plan over four months. I feel like that still for me, that has worked nicely. Yeah. Offering a payment plan over six months, I think that you're getting to the point where it's 
Uh, yeah you absolutely need to do and decide what's right for you but like you said I used to offer payment plans from a place of if this is the way that you can afford to work with me then let's do it whereas now I do it from a place of this works for me and will also be an option for you so I always say you can pay in full or you can pay in full full or full I like that full or full only because my services generally take kind of three months so cool and yes so different services payment plans mates rates fun times that whole conversation (laughs) we've all been there (laughs) yes um so I feel like we've covered an awful lot today there's been some excellent practical advice in there there's some brilliant insights there's been a wonderful amount of our shared experiences so thank you for being so open with your own pricing journey because it can be such a a tricky thing when people are like everyone feels the same but no one tells you the details So true. So from everything that we have discussed today, Paula, what would be the one key piece of advice you would advise the listeners to take away and take action on? Gosh, that's tricky, isn't it? How do you pull that down to one little thing? Like one baby step that they could take. Baby <laughs> step. I I think the baby step. Oh God, is that a baby step? I'm not sure it is. Um <laughs> I think it's not, I'm not sure it's a baby step, but I would say fix your price and stick to it. If you know you need to increase, that's fine. Make sure that happens, but don't waver about your price. Know what it is, quote that, be strong and bold and brave about it rather than, you know, wishy-washy and adapting your price for each customer, because that's when you're likely to undercharge. So know today what that price is and just stick to it. Brilliant. I agree with that completely. My little final thought would be take half an hour to review your current pricing Mm. so if you've just listened to this episode and you're like right I want to set my pricing I want to take action I want to do what Paula said I want to set my price and not be wishy-washy about it I would review where your pricing is now either what you were selling your packages at or take the average of the last few projects that you worked on that you want to work on again in the future Don't take the costings of projects that you didn't like. <laughs> That's a very good shout. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and and like you said earlier, Paula, it's all about those goals. Like when you know where you are, when you know where you want to be in any part of business, branding, pricing, yeah, yeah. Um, marketing, anything, knowing the difference between the two and then taking steps towards narrowing that gap you're going to be well on your way to feeling much more confident and better in your business absolutely awesome so thank you so much Paula where can the listeners find more of you online so they can find me on LinkedIn or they can head over to my free Facebook group that's probably where you will get most from me and most of my value and so if you go and search me on Facebook as the business growth community um, you should find a, a beachy kind of image on there to tell you that you're in the right place perfect thank you so so much for joining me today it's been absolutely wonderful to hear all of your insights and all of your wonderful advice thank you so much and listeners be sure to come back here on thursday where paula will be sharing her business journey so far in her brand story episode and until then i would love to know if this has made you think about your pricing slightly differently whether you've gone away and had a look at where you are now and made those changes pricing is a conversation that i really feel like we should be talking more about 
about. So if you're happy and comfortable, come and tell us what you're thinking. You can find us on Instagram at the Brand Lounge Podcast. And as always, all of the links for both myself and for Paula will be in the show notes. So come and find us, have a conversation, and we will see you in the Brand Lounge. <laughs>